Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecrack's movie podcast. Show me the monolith! <laughs> My name is Jared, and I'm joined here by the Wisecrack crew. We got Ryan. Sup, film freaks? And Austin. Yo. And today we're covering 2001 A Space Odyssey, the 1968 film directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Keir Delea and Gary Lockwood. I think it says a lot about this movie that I've seen it probably tens of times, and I didn't really know the stars' names until today. What about the monkeys? Uh, it stars yeah, a bunch know- of monkeys. A bunch of real monkeys. But uh, before we get into first impressions, this was part of a Patreon vote. We decided to let our patrons give us some feedback as to what they'd like to hear about. And uh, so I'm going to go down. In first place with 39 votes was 2001 A Space Odyssey. So that's what we're covering today. I can't in second, Yeah. In second place with 22 votes, this was a suggestion from Ryan, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I got edged out. I was pretty stoked. I almost wanted to pull one of my choices because I didn't want to take votes away from Bill and Ted's because I was kind of into that idea. You know, honestly, uh, uh, my second pick, Ernest Scared Stupid, I feel like anybody who voted for Ernest Scared Stupid, that was pulling votes away from... Yeah, it was. uh, That was the Jill Stein of this. (laughs) That's your fault. You you should have chosen something completely opposite so that different people... Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, nice. Uh, With third place with 21 votes was The Thing, the John Carpenter one. Yeah, I thought people would have been really into that. That's why I chose it. And I I haven't seen it since I was... It was only one vote less than Bill and Ted. Yeah, and and I haven't seen it since I was a kid. We're going to have to do it at some point. We're going to have to do it at some point. That movie has the best special effects of any movie ever. (laughs) I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, All right, and when fourth place with 14 votes was The Godfather, which was my pick, because I... Wanted to make sure that we're doing the classics here. We've I love how, yeah. You pick the two most just like yeah. top 10 of every top 10 <laughs> list ever movies. And uh, I mean, st- talk about stacking the fucking. I, seriously, box, man. I didn't do it on purpose. I figured <laughs> that. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that. First of all, there are movies in which there's plenty to say. And second of all, we just got to cover them at some point. It would be a travesty to go through this podcast and, you know, forget to do 2001 or The Godfather. Look, I'm in this for the long haul, y'all, all right? We have plenty of time, <laughs> we have years and years, and mo- tons of movies, you know, well-known movies, rare movies. Let's go through them all. I can't wait. We will. I can't wait to when we're in our 70s and, you know, <laughs> and we're talking about, like, I don't know, fucking Tangerine as being a classic or something like that. Here's Grumpy oh. Old Men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> From the 1994, okay. Okay, so then in fifth place was Taxi Driver with 11 votes. That was Austin's. Nice. And then in last place was Ryan's Ernest Scared Stupid with nine <laughs> votes. Yeah, I mean, all right. We got to get cultured out there, folks. All right? You yeah. gotta, I mean, it's not my... F- whatever. Continue. The youth don't know Jim Varney, man. They don't understand. The genius of Jim Varney, Ernest... Yeah, come on. No, that was the one I, I mean? was actually hoping would win because I feel like that would just be a deep dive into Ryan's mind. <laughs> I thought we could do Ernest Goes to Jail and keep on with the cop theme, you know, from RoboCop from two times ago, <laughs> but I won't scared stupid. That's the Halloween one, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, so today, patrons, you spoke to us. We listened. You can visit us at wisecrack.com. No, patreon.com slash wisecrack. Um, and uh, become a member if you want your voice heard. Uh, but today we're talking about 2001 A Space Odyssey, a movie that I think we're all very familiar with. Uh, why don't we start off with Austin. Austin, tell us about the first time you've seen this movie and tell us about what was it like revisiting it for this podcast. Yeah, so first of all, I was actually upset at you, Jared, for selecting this <laughs> film. I was too. I've seen it uh-huh. so many times. Uh-huh. I've, seen it so, I've seen it so many times. Hey, I didn't know it would win. Yes, you. Yeah. And the last time I saw it prior to this was 
in aid an old-fashioned theater on 70 millimeter projection on this massive widescreen and it was epic it was like a religious experience and i was like i don't want to watch it on my ipad I was like, that is going, <laughs> that is going to fucking suck. That I'm now going to watch this on my iPad. So I was so hesitant. Yeah. I was literally working yesterday. I was out in a cafe and I was working. I was talking with a buddy and I was like, I gotta go fucking watch this movie. And it's like three hours long. And I was like, and I gotta watch it on my iPad because we've got a TV that I could like cast it to. But you know, I live with people and I was like, so I didn't want to like dominate the room or whatever. So I was like, I'm gonna fucking watch it on my iPad. But I actually really enjoyed it. Um, on this viewing and I did not anticipate that I would and I think it was because I just even though the last time I saw it was probably about two years ago it was here in Sydney at one of these like old-fashioned theaters I think it's called like the Palace Theater or something like that in North Sydney for people who know it um so it was about two years ago so it was pretty recent um but I kind of always forget about the first act I not <laughs> oh, not, not the op- not the not jo- not the apes not that Oh, oh. but but I guess but I, the the bit I, so I guess it's the second movement right I kind of always forget about that I remember the opening and then I remember like actually being on the mission to Jupiter but I kind of always forget the bit about the monolith on on the moon uh and then the like the epidemic walk. yeah I kind of for some reason I kind of forget that part so it was actually really interesting because I thought there was a lot of fun um philosophical cultural things to kind of to kind of think through so this time it was much more of like an analytical watch like I was intentionally like ah what's going on here you know what's what's the meaning here you know rather than just whereas the time that I saw it in the movie theater a couple years ago was just experience like when he's going through the fucking wormhole I had a friend who literally sat in the aisle so that he could be like directly in the middle of the screen because everyone was that (laughs) into it right like like it was insane whereas this was a very different experience but I still loved it um I think it's a masterpiece I mean, it's it's silly. It's fucking silly that this was made in the late '60s. It's silly. Like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't even make yeah. sense. It still looks better than so many of the fucking big budget films that come out now. It's amazing. So it's fucking magic. It is. It is. F- fucking magic. All right, Brian. I feel like I disappointed you with this choice, but I know you've got love for this movie. I mean, how can you not? It is a fucking cinematic masterpiece. Like, uh, I mean, uh, in terms of this viewing experience, what I did do, and I think I've done this a couple times in this podcast, I, I watched it at one and a half speed. <laughs> oh, Kubrick is rolling <laughs> in his grave, so you son of a bitch. It was bit. actually very interesting, this particular film, you know, watching those uh, long extended sequences on, you know, like, all right, cool. Yeah, I know where that, that thing's going to go. You know, so, yeah, exactly. This was the anti cinephile viewing experience for me. But still, I reveled in its in its mm. glory. You know, I don't get, give a shit what anyone says. This it, it, this movie makes me gives me a, the weirdest feeling more than any other in terms of it's like a very existential feeling. I, any movie that st- that literally spans the entire history of the universe or whatever, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of will do that to you. But yeah, starting with those apes and that jump cut really is powerful you know i'm sure we'll talk about the Mm. the powerful jump cut from the bone you know thousands of years to the starship uh but yeah i always think about that shot a lot in terms Mm. of when in my own work and then just in life in general um it's a it's this that movie's great so anyway yeah if people want to know how to do an edit like that is how you do a fucking edit like come on yeah i mean it's the most popular cut in cinema history yeah it's amazing for a reason so i've probably i've probably seen this movie in different settings more than any other movie i've seen this movie in 70 millimeter twice once uh at the egyptian in hollywood once at the bfi in london i saw it uh with a live orchestra at the hollywood bowl with quentin tarantino like nine rows in front of me i mean that was fucking awesome with a live orchestra playing that ligeti stuff that's apparently really hard to play i'm not a musician i don't know but that was amazing i've seen this movie at home i've cried during this movie even though it's not emotional at all (laughs) no it's cold as fuck uh, just the just the sheer majesty of it just brought me to tears yeah so i've run the gamut with this movie and uh the first time i watched it though i'm surprised neither of you have said this i was like 12 years old and I didn't I mean like I hate to say that I didn't get it but I didn't like it when I was 12 I was like expecting something more akin to Interstellar I suppose something that was less of a mostly dialogueless film and something more plot driven 
But but I was yeah, I was I, I was like nineteen or twenty when I first saw this. It was when I was doing. I have these periods of, of life where I'm like, I've got to make up for lost time and I've got to watch the classics. And that was the first time I saw it. I was in like acting school and um and it was like I had to like make sure that I saw this. So that's why I didn't have that that like kind of disappointed experience. The first time I saw it, I went in like, okay, I am an adult and I'm going to watch a masterpiece. So I was like 19 or 20 the first time I saw it. I had a very similar experience as Jared. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was specific. I'm glad you brought that up. It was specifically because it was when Apollo 13 came out and Tom Hanks in an interview said that he was so inspired by 2001 as a kid, you know, and it made him want to be an astronaut and be in the movies or whatever. And so I was like, oh man, I, you know, dad, let's go rent that. And he was like, I don't know if you like that. And then I, I got it. And I'm like, I'm 20 minutes in. I'm like, what is going on dude this is not even a space movie this is a monkey movie and uh, uh i hated that movie the first time i saw it i didn't i definitely didn't watch the whole thing it wasn't until later oh, okay. that i loved it yeah but uh anyway i love this movie uh before we go into the recap i do want to you know this is only the second kubrick movie i think we've done is that right the only other one we've done is eyes wide shut yeah is that a, no 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 really? we did we, we did, did the Clockwork we did the shining Orange, right? Oh we, oh, we did The Shining. That's not, right. Have we not done Clockwork Orange? We haven't done Clockwork. No, we, haven't. we did The Shining, um, and then we did uh, Eyes Wide Shut, and so this is the third one. Yeah, dude. When you said 2001 was on your pick for the for the poll, I was like, haven't we done 2001? I'm <laughs> all these are melting together, man. <laughs> What's so so real quick? Top three Kubrick movies. Oh hell yeah! Um, I got I, I don't want to shortchange the man. Uh, you, Do you know? You guys I, know. I, 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 so for number one for me, it's got to be. Uh, I know that Ryan might have a cow. Oh, it's Barry say Lyndon. This. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it might be Barry Lyndon. Uh, oh my God. I, I I think this one would be number two, and I think number three would be Clockwork Orange. You know what? I love Eyes Wide Shut too, so I, that would be. I love Barry tied. Lyndon too, oh, I man. I love Barry Lyndon too, and Barry Lyndon might be number three for me. But actually, I'm gonna go black and white, and I'm gonna say The Killing. Is my favorite Kubrick. Oh, uh, I thought you were gonna say Paths of Glory. No, Paths of Glory is great. So I actually think so. I have a friend who actually he takes kind of the um, the unorthodox view that he thinks that Kubrick's black and whites are actually better than his color. So he loves Paths of Glory. He loves The Killing, and then of course Strange Love. Um, but I get that. But I still, I mean, I think I think The Shining is magnificent. Two thousand one would be my second, and then I'm gonna say Barry Lyndon my third. But number one would be Killing. The killing. My number one is Full Metal, oh. full metal Jacket for, for sure. Really? Then, uh, yeah. I love this. I can watch. My friend, can, my friend Tim, my friend Tim is the gunman. You know, you know, uh, is, is, is that where the, he's like, like killing the, or am I, or am I mixing up the movies? No, I'm mixing up, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up the movies. I'm thinking Apocalypse Now or, or something. Oh. Yeah. Never mind. Never mind. I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. So I go number one, Full Metal Jacket. Then uh, number two, Paths of Glory. Number three, two thousand one, with a you know, and then the the rest are all a, a tied for four. Yeah. Uh, all right. So without further ado, let's go into a recap. After a foreboding overture, we're introduced to the dawn of man, where conflicting factions of apes are fighting over resources. One night, one of the factions wakes up to see a monolith that has inexplicably appeared in all its awe and majesty. After this, one ape is inspired to use the bone, use a bone as a tool or weapon, enabling him supremacy over the land. Fast forward a couple million years, and humanity's use of the tool has progressed to an advanced colonization of space. Dr. Haywood Floyd is being called to the moon to investigate a top-secret discovery, which turns out to be the very same monolith, which starts emitting a screeching, debilitating sound. Eighteen months later, a U.S. spacecraft is headed for Jupiter. Among those on board are Dr. David Bowman, Dr. Frank Poole, and the newest advancement in artificial intelligence, the HAL 9000. HAL reports a part of the ship dysfunctional, but turns out to be in error, making Bowman and Poole concerned about his functionality. When HAL lip-reads them discussing the possibility of shutting him off, he sends Dr. Poole adrift in space and kills the other sleeping scientists. Bowman attempts to save Poole and tries to re-enter the space station, but Hal won't allow it. So Bowman enters manually and disconnects Hal's processor core, making Hal scared about his impending death. After Hal is dismembered, a recording plays that reveals their mission is to pursue a radio signal that the monolith sent to Jupiter. At Jupiter, Bowman finds a large monolith orbiting the planet and follows it into a psychedelic world of light. Eventually, he finds himself in a bedroom where he witnesses an older version of himself in various scenarios, including his deathbed. 
The monolith appears again at the foot of the bed, and we see a giant fetus orbiting next to the Earth. End of movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, before we move on, I want to give a shout out to Storyblocks for sponsoring this episode. Storyblocks is a massive content library where you can find royalty-free images, video clips, music, and more. With a membership, you can download unlimited content and use it for personal or commercial projects royalty-free. I definitely recommend a content library to any creative because it saves so much time and money. Scouring the internet for one music track can be frustrating, and what's even worse is it breaking the bank. With Storyblocks, you can download multiple music tracks, loops, audio clips, and sound effects all under the same subscription, and you never have to worry about licensing it or accidentally stealing it. Check out Storyblocks today. They offer an unlimited all-access plan that gives you the ability to download content from their library with over 1 million assets. They're constantly updating and adding to it, so you'll always have new content to utilize. Click the link in the show notes or go to storyblocks.com slash wisecrack to find out more and now back to the show you called it the psychedelic world of light yeah what would you call it i don't know people call it what the stargate sequence the stargate sequence the yeah. wormhole uh, the worm i i'd never heard it called the wormhole even though it looks like a wormhole i don't know yeah. yeah. So I wanted to I wanted to start this discussion off with two quotes. One is from a critic named Carol Fry. She says, 2001 A Space Odyssey, of course, can be summed up as a story in which aliens come to Earth to find a species that might evolve to intelligence and change it. Then, after the species evolves enough to achieve primitive space travel, the aliens lure them through a star door for a faster-than-light journey to their home world where they evolve the individual thus trapped to a level beyond the physical realm and return him to his home world. So, okay. I just wanted to give that very bare, bare bones summary. Here's here's an alternate interpretation of this. The wormhole okay. is obviously a dimension through different temporal experiences, right? So the star baby could be viewed as the beginning of humanity again. So it's actually humanity that brings the monolith itself. So the alien isn't some sort of extraterrestrial being, but it's actually humanity in a different timeline, right? So what Hal is going through is he's going through a different time. So think like Interstellar, right? Where he's able to communicate. It's a David Lynch Mobius strip Exactly, exactly. So it could be that as well, because Kubrick like intentionally seems to be like, I'm not going to tell you what the fucking meaning of this is, even though the book I guess that it's based on is a little bit more specific, but that's just another interpretation. It's it's not based on the book. The book and the movie were made at the same time. So they're almost like yeah, they're like parallel art forms. Okay, is the best way to think of it. So that's it. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think that's one way you could look at it. Like, because what's the purpose of going through the wormhole? Maybe it's to sh- kind of show that there's this to loop. transcend, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So the second quote that I wanted to read kind of speaks to this difficulty in interpreting this movie. Because in a way, like so much of it is supposed to be just kind of like open to this kind of visceral mystic experience, which I think speaks to why it's so important to see this movie in 70 millimeter or to see it with a live orchestra or just something like go. I mean, not to say that's watching it on your iPad isn't fulfilling. I mean, I I mean, I've I've never watched it on an iPad, but I imagine it would still be cool. I had a great but time. But it is about the experience. So this is uh, from... This second quote is from Kubrick in his Playboy interview. Have you guys ever read that interview? It's so good. Mm. Yeah. All right. So he was saying, I was trying to create a visual experience, one that bypasses verbalizing, pigeonholing, and directly penetrates the subconscious with an emotional and philosophical content. Mm. I intended the film to be an intensely subjective experience that reaches the viewer at an inner level of consciousness, just as music does. To explain a Beethoven symphony would be to emasculate it by erecting an artificial barrier between conception and appreciation. I love Amen, that. brother. Fuck yeah. And yeah, we, we haven't really brought that up yet. There is a remarkable uh, little di- sparse amount of dialogue in this movie, and that's definitely why I hated it as a kid because <laughs> it wasn't yeah, telling me, me what to think or how to feel or what you know what the story was. It was just putting shit out there, and I'm supposed to grasp, put meaning onto it. What the fuck, <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, and he does it beautifully. Yeah, because you can watch this movie. You know, and have one experience of just like, oh, cool, wow, this is a weird space movie, and then have another experience of like, oh yeah, the monolith is is actually giving the intelligence to the a- alien uh, to the apes, and you know, uh, causing humanity to evolve and whatever. 
And you, but he doesn't spell it out, and you don't need to really even understand that to enjoy the movie, the cinematic experience that is unfolding in front of you. But uh, yeah, there is an intellectual component to the movie, but it's it's he doesn't talk about it at all, and it's awesome how much in his movies he does he shows and that doesn't tell, you know. Yeah, that's why to Austin's point about whether it's future humanity or aliens or some sort of religious force, uh, I, I think like ultimately it's. It's us coming together and sharing our different interpretations that is ultimately kind of the point, because there will never be evidence in the film enough to justify one reading over another, because mm. it's deliberately constructed like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's such, a, it's such a lush film, and I think that's why it's a sin to watch it at one and a half speed. Um, but yeah, Ryan. It's Jesus Christ. Because, hey, because it was interesting. He, you, you ever listen? You know how John Malkovich, when he talks, he just like— enjoys every word that comes out of his mouth right right like that's how i feel about this film it's like every single set piece every single camera hold it's all enjoying what is it enjoying i think it's enjoying um human technology human mastery over nature i mean i kind of see this as like the ultimate death of god film actually because i think this is a the film about the triumph of humanity and I think that's why Kubrick is so deliberate and so slow and painstaking in his development because he's enjoying. What is that? And bold. It, it, well, and bold. Every choice is bold. Yeah, yeah. Every, sorry exactly. To you off. It, no, no. It's big. It's bold. It's it's lush. It's 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 explicit. Like there's there's a lot of stuff hidden, but at the same time, there's also so much that's shown, right? And then I think it's because it's so bold that that makes you think like, oh my God, this could mean a million different things, right? And I think that's that's one of the things that's so interesting because it's a story about technology while also using technology through this like really rich enjoyment of the possibilities of cinematic technology. Yeah, and it's not critical about technology like so many films about technology are. It's 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 not, you know, it, it's interesting, like, you would think that the movie, at least the second act, would make you believe that it's kind of like the Terminator in that, oh, artificial intelligence gets too smart and starts lashing out against its creators like it would be a cautionary tale. But this movie really isn't a cautionary tale because it's ultimately just about evolution and how the, and where you know the idea of the human is born what constitutes the human and then what lies beyond the human well i mean there is a little bit of that frankenstein myth though right but the that that problematizes it and then humanity overcomes right yeah he just it's, goes up and cuts the cord end of end of that's it how that's okay. right no yeah. problem so there's there's definitely a little bit of that terminator frankenstein myth here i actually wrote down like a sequence of themes that i think kind of encapsulate how I view the film. And I said, um, so it starts with you get like the brutality of nature. It's chaotic. There's no order. And then you get the introduction of technology. And technology is obviously very rudimentary at that point. It's just a bone. But that turns into a bone that, uh, one, allows him to kind of have fun because he's really enjoying, right, smashing up that, that skeleton. But also it's power. Like one of the things I noticed is that it's not just the bone that's being focused on, but it's his arm and the strength, right? It's power. And so then you also then get the technology that allows them to hunt so they can get their own food and it allows them to fuck up the other tribe, right? So now you get the establishment of like order and quote unquote like clan society, but it's like specified in a particular way. So then you get uh, the power of humanity as being a technological humanity, which is a very sort of Promethean myth, right? You get this idea that in Prometheus that he steals fire from the gods and that gives humanity autonomy. They're no longer dependent on the gods. They're not dependent on nature. Rather, they have like full autonomy. And then you get uh, that jump cut that is also accompanied by that symphonic harmonious music because now it's peace and harmony and um, kind of like the culmination of what humanity is. So it's like order and harmony have been discovered through what humanity can produce through technology. And then you get the kind of Frankenstein myth. Then you get technology that turns and it's like, oh no, the the creations of our hand have kind of taken over now. And that's when you get Hal as being bad. But then you, and get, then you get the psychedelic trip of your lifetime, bro. And then you get the <laughs> transcendence of that and you get the star baby. And I think what ultimately we can think of that is 
is that it's like there's no God that is outside, but rather what you get is just the, the transcendence and the supremacy of humanity that all started from just that accidental discovery of the bone and that now you have like this conquering of the cosmos, this transcendence that elevates consciousness beyond just kind of like the everyday experience. So that's kind of, I think, one way that you could kind of encapsulate the themes of the film. Accidental discovery of the bone. I mean, isn't the monolith kind of guiding him? Yeah, perpetuated by the monolith. You think so? I, I mean, I think we're supposed to infer a cause and effect relationship to them finding the monolith and then him finding the bone and like the idea sparks in his mind to use it as a tool and then they're able to become meat eaters. So, okay, well, even still, it's accidental in the sense that it's not necessary, right? It's something that interrupts and that kind of, like, breaks up the order. Necessary would mean, like, it had to be that way. Not that it wasn't, like, initiated by something. So it would still be accidental in the sense that it wasn't, like, it wasn't like in the nature of the world that it had to be discovered that way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's interesting. If you think of the monolith, because then you could tie that into like fucking stoned ape theory stuff, right? That's like the psychedelic experience of eating the fucking shrooms and then language and consciousness. So the monolith is like the fucking thing that stimulates consciousness. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's just this trippy ass thing that just like (laughs) just gets them high into gets them high enough to experience reason. That's right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So. I want to just dwell a little bit on the cut that we're talking about, just in case. uh, So the one that we're talking about, it's this match cut that's very famous. It's when the ape, it's the last shot of the Dawn of Man sequence. The ape throws the bone in the air. And then as the bone is in the middle of the air, uh, it's a match cut to a space station that's shaped like the bone. And basically everyone reveres this shot so much because not only does it show the passage of time for millions of years, but also is, you know, kind of makes an intellectual point that the advancement of human technology or human tools has graduated from just a primitive bone to an incredible spaceship. Uh, So that's why everyone just like geeks the fuck out about this cut. Yeah. And it kind of fits like there's a, there's a, there's like a lot of people that want to talk like, what is the difference between quote unquote nature and quote unquote culture or humanity, right? And there's this lovely kind of idea that I that I really was drawn to that there's no ontological difference, like in terms of the being, the essence of things. There's no ontological difference between an anthill and a skyscraper. The point is that they're just like differences of degrees of complexity, right? And that includes the degrees of the complexity of the intention behind the construction of the skyscraper vis-a-vis the anthill. And I think you get something similar here. There's no like essential difference between the bone and the spaceship. But there's just this continuum, this evolutionary continuum of degrees of complexity that differentiate. But it takes, like you just said, millions and millions of years to get there. But then the point is, okay, so then millions of years, millions of years beyond the, uh, the spaceship, what could technology become? And I think that's what we're supposed to kind of connect, right? Well, also there's the element of of not just technology, but tech, literally technology to the violence inherent in all of us, you know, because the bone is is them killing the the other animals to get their food, surviving, and then the spaceship theoretically, you know, there's space guns on it, and it's a it's probably a military ship of some sort. All I'm saying is that you know it it, it it's used for the same it could be used for the same purpose, and uh, so I think that, that, that he's saying something about that too. Yeah, it's conquering conquering nature and then conquering other. And other entities. So there's yeah. absolutely a sense that there's violence in that conquering. Yeah. But I like what you said, Austin, about um, how there's this serenity to that uh, Strauss piece when mm. it cuts to the space. Because to Ryan's point, if we are to kind of connect violence and this serene idea of peace, it's almost like, you know, the violence, the, the efficiency of violence mm. that is discovered with the bone almost leads to like kind of this almost sarcastically to this like harmony and serene beauty in space. Mm. Yeah. It's definitely ironic. Yeah. There's an irony there. And uh, this is post post Dr. Strangelove, right? Which is all about the bomb. So is there something then 
you know, you think about how that film ends and then you think about how this film begins. Is there some sort of connection between like we could destroy humanity with the push of a button, but at the same time, we also have this harmonious experience in this overcoming of nature and and of other humans, you know, like there's some sort of tension there that I think can be explored. The, the, oh, that's interesting. The, the, there's, you know, like Kubrick himself, if you think about all his movies and just him as a person and in his interviews, he is the most just logical. Uh, uh, what's the dude in Star Trek who's just logic? Data. Data. Yeah. Or, yeah. What, Data. Yeah, whatever. He's a, you know, oh, he, Spock. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he's a Spock brain guy, you know, he and, and so uh, to me. He is reveling like like he his god is reason right and so this sequence is kind of um, yeah him just saying like like reveling in like look what we have accomplished you know look at our humble beginnings and then look where we've come uh, gone to and yes it you know uh, uh, it's this orchestra piece while they're literally beating a ram to death you know but it's beautiful and look <laughs> at it like he Stan Cooper is just saying look at this it's awesome and th th mm. there's this awesome interview I wish I'm gonna fuck up the quote but basically he says something and i think about this a lot just in life he you know he he says something to the effect of like you know when you're growing up you you, you start realizing how bullshit uh the world is basically and how how brutal and how much suffering there is and and you just think it's hopeless but then you can kind of at a certain point over time kind of transcend that feeling and go you know the, what can i do to uh uh provide hope you know in a hopeless situation that you find the comedy of of our reality here, you know, the human experience of just like, we're on this, we're on this little rock and we're all just trying to, you know, we're all selfish, but we're all trying to get along. And I think that he sums that up in his movies, especially this one pretty good. You should read that interview. I need to find it. You know, I'm glad you kind it's of brought probably the playboy interview. No, he, so he's good. way younger. He's talking about chess and stuff. Cause he used to go play chess in the park, but, uh, oh, right. Anyway, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm glad you brought that up because this is one of the things that I was trying to think through when I was watching last night. I feel like a couple of films, more recent films in particular, could be viewed alongside this as kind of like those directors' attempts to do their 2001. And one I was thinking of uh, Quaron's Gravity, and then I was also thinking of Malick's The Tree of Life, just in terms of what they might be saying about technology and humanity. And then for Malick, it's much more esoteric and much more about like you know, the tree of life goes into like fucking dinosaurs and, you know, the cosmic world and shit like that. So that's like his myth, right? His like universal myth. But gravity I thought was interesting because first of all, the film's called Gravity, right? And the film takes place mostly in a place where there's no gravity. So there's something about being suspended out of the earth. But then she gets pulled back down to the earth and it's the last sequence when she crashes. And then she swims and then she crawls and then she stands up. And then she walks. And is that not a sequence about the evolution of humanity being pulled down by gravity? And then humanity <laughs> sort of like going from fish swimming to like crawling to this. And then like that's how I took it when I first – because there's like this triumph of Sandra Bullock where like the foot hits the ground and it's like – and it's like, oh, she has survived you know, the pull of gravity down to the earth. And so I was like, is that, is that not like Quaron doing his 2001? So like if Kubrick is telling his story about like technology and humanity and transcending and like psychedelic wormholes or whatever the fuck, um, are they kind of doing something similar? And then what that made me think of also is Tarkovsky. And not in the sense that he does something similar, but there's a warmth and an explicit mysticism in Tarkovsky that I wonder if, if it's lacking in gravity not in tree of life so much but definitely in gravity and then what i wonder is is because this ryan just kind of like inspired this by saying that like there's this like there's like this um inspiration is there is is 2001 cold or is there a warmth in the mysticism or is I think it all it's an just it, all rational i think it's an optimistic movie about a rational place you know yeah 
I think there's an interesting thing about why I mean, people consider it a cold movie. I mean, there are protagonists, there is a central character, but really that character is Hal. Um, and the, the scientists aren't very interesting, aren't very dynamic. There's very few close-ups of them, whereas Hal is, we only see him in this big, grandiose close-up. And Hal's like the most identifiable character. He has doubts, he has questions. He's the only one who's actually curious, like, hey, isn't it weird that we're going on this mission and nobody knows what we're going for? He's the only one bringing this stuff up. I think that there is an element kind of like in Wally, except a little less kind of explicitly dramatized like it is in Wally of finding humanity in technology. And then obviously when Hal dies, uh, it's pretty heartbreaking. Heartbreaking? He's a murderer, Jared. He is a murderer. I, I mean, I'm glad that Dr. Bowman is winning, but I mean, it is a little haunting just having him, having his mind decay and him being scared of death. And then he starts just reciting these nursery rhymes or something that he learned when he was just a little wee chip or whatever. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some cool ethical uh, stuff to explore there, right? About, is there a, a machine ethics, right? Like if AI do start to kind of become a little bit more autonomous, um, is there something, is there like an ethical responsibility that we have to machines? Yeah, so, so, sorry, to bring it back to your point, like, I do think that, I do think it's a cold movie, but I do think there is some warmth in the way that the movie makes us identify with Hal more so than some of the other characters. I mean, I say that with a stipulation, we are supposed to be happy when Hal is beat by Dr. Bowman, but I do think that he's the most dynamic character in the movie. But you don't think that fucking ending is... is hopeful and optimistic and uh, joyful <laughs> the, the yeah, star so that's baby the thing with is, the music like, people are split some people see it as like a real dystopian film and then some people do see that like I agree with you I think there is I something I think it's cold hmm. yeah sorry no no yeah well, uh, yeah go ahead is it just like it's post-humanity like hmm. is it Nietzschean is it the Ubermensch ah. is it I mean not like explicitly Nietzsche but just kind of like that advancement towards yeah, or advancement away from humanity to the next. Yeah, I guess. I mean, is it just that vague idea of of progress? Let's see the next thing, baby. Bring on the next reality, man. Which which is really which isn't which isn't a denigration of the human, but is a real celebration oh. of the human because it's recognizing sort of like an acorn turning into an oak tree that the human is only a germinal seed, right? That. That it's a celebration of where we are because of our potential. And I think that is maybe what we can think of. Uh, and to piggyback on that, I think it's a celebration of just the, the sheer mystery of it all. You know, like mm. like like he – we don't know what the monolith is at the beginning or end of this movie. We don't know what really is going on at the end of this movie. You know, we just know <laughs> something happened, you know, and, and something transcended. He obviously went to the next level. We don't know what that is, you know, but but it's just cool that it happened, kind of in in the content on the in the context of the film, um, and I think that Stanley Kubrick loves that. I think, or at least that's what he wants to inspire us. Like, so maybe what the fuck is this all say, about? What are we doing here? Maybe we yeah. could say that there's as weird as this might sound, because we tend to think of like warmth as being human and coldness as being like technological, and we tend to think of like the humanities as being warm and like the sciences as being cold about brute facts, right? But I think he might be trying to like maybe converge them, that there is a warmth in science, a warmth in technology because of its potentially um, unleashing abilities. Maybe there's something there. Because like yeah. I'm a huge Tarkovsky fan, and what I love about Tarkovsky is the mystery, the mysticism, um, but there's a – even in a film like Stalker that he's kind of exploring – you know, you've got the scientist uh, as one of the characters. Um, he's kind of exploring mystery in this field that is outside the bounds of knowledge, right? There's there's always a warmth in Tarkovsky in, in his films, even though they're kind of like brutal in some ways, whereas this is kind of like the opposite. This is like – it's cold because it's like everything is white and pristine and technology and you're in space and everything like that. But at the same time – it's the warmth uh, kind of transcending or that can be unleashed because of the cold brute facts. I don't know. 
for whatever reason, I find 2001 much more watchable than Solaris. Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> but Solaris is a much more human story. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. Why, why do you think that is? <sighs> I don't know. I don't have the same relationship with Solaris that I do with 2001. I don't, I haven't seen Solaris. Actually, that's a lie. I have seen it in a theater, uh, but I've only seen it once. Whereas 2001 is an experience that has grown on me over time. Whereas I think I've only had two viewings of Solaris and I haven't really invested as much thought into it as I had with 2001. I don't really have a good answer here. Yeah. 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 You love Stalker though. Yeah. There's a poster right behind me. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Um well, so another thing is that we talk about how the movie celebrates humanity's progress and how it brings us to the next level of evolution. But I always felt that even during the Strauss sequence, some of the stuff where it actually shows humans, it shows them as or it depicts them as kind of out of their element. Because even with all their fancy technological toys in the infinite unknown, they're just children. Because there's like the food that the astronauts eat looks like baby food. And then like out in space, we have to learn how to shit again because Dr. Floyd's learning how to use the space toilet. And it's like really confounding and confusing to him. So even though we are amazing with our ability to colonize the great unknown, we're still, I mean, you know, we're still simple beings that when ex- that when exposed to the next level of reality can only really understand giant baby flowing through space and psychedelic weird colors. Maybe we can think of it like this. Maybe we can think of pre-humanity is like that violent, chaotic order. And then technology comes, allows us to transcend nature, transcend um, the limitations that kind of like come from being in that chaotic order. But the problem is, is we're still married to technology. We're still wedded to technology. But the star baby is that we don't need technology anymore. So with them, with the, mm. the humans in space, like learning how to shit and like rudimentary things that they don't really know, it's technology that's cool, right? Like he's able to talk to, he's able to use like voice recognition to enter in. He's able to talk to his like child back home. Uh, because of technology. So technology is what is like at center stage there. But the next stage of human evolution is where we're no longer dependent on technology. And that's why you just get this organic star baby. Because at that point, it's the organic star baby that's transcending above Earth, but without technology. Maybe? Yeah, it's not like a giant mech baby. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you guys, uh, how much thought do you guys put into the final sequence when they're inside the white room because i it's it seems like such a bold specific choice to have that kind of design and it ultimately because i i mean i don't know that one always confuses me more so than the actual stargate sequence well uh the vague interpretation of it is that the monolith, you know, once he's gone through the other side and then the, mon- you know, he's like, all right, the monolith is like, okay, you made it. Um, I'm going to basically super uh, hyper evolve you, you know, make you kind of go through your whole life here in about uh, five minutes and then uh, get you to, to get you to the real next level and turn you into the star baby. That's kind of what I, what I see. <laughs> what do you guys think? <laughs> I don't. I mean, that's that's kind of all I take away from it. Right. But considering that how long, how how drawn out the sequence is, and how specific the design choice is, like it's so tempting to draw some kind of meaning from it, but uh, like that's specific to the time period. But I got nothing. The only thing I don't, and I know that's the standard interpretation, and it's never sat right with me. And the only reason is because I just don't like seeing this as like some higher intelligence is guiding this evolutionary process, you know? Um, I don't know. I don't know why. Why? Why don't I like that? I guess it's because I kind of, I think I want to. Is it too religious for you? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he grows up, he dies, he's reborn. Jesus, there you go. Which you would think, like, I just talked about Tarkovsky, and I love the mysticism and the religious themes in Tarkovsky, right? So I'm not opposed to that. I think it's just, I I don't like thinking that this can should only be viewed, not that it's a bad interpretation, but that it should only be viewed as like, this is a linear process being controlled by some alien life form. I'd rather think of it as being like 
some sort of cyclical connection of the totality. So maybe the aliens, quote-unquote, or whoever it is that's that's controlling this process, um, aren't somehow distinct from humanity, but again, are just like humans from within a different uh, domain or dimension. And I think for me, that's what's more interesting, is that it isn't like some sort of force that's guiding things, but rather it's kind of inspirational, kind of like an icon, which is also a form of religion, but rather than have it be like a transcendent religion, it's more of like a, a present, an imminent, internal thing, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, because then, honestly, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but uh, uh, you could get into the whole determinism argument, like, oh, you know, like, yeah. like if the monolith hadn't come around, you know, they'd just still be, uh, no one would have figured out all this shit, and, and the fact that he did come around, that's kind of like, did, did he put everyone on a path to a certain thing? You know, but uh, and there I, is like definitely... your, I like your version better. When you use that determinist logic, there's an inevitability to it, right? Like it was inevitable that the apes would be inspired and then they would find the bone and then you'd get to the star baby at the end. And and I get that, but I just – to me, that's just like bad evolutionary theory for one. Um, it's just <laughs> too like means end and I just – I don't know. I just don't buy that stuff. I don't know. And it sounds like something you heard on Ancient Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> that meme of the dude with the hair is like, have you seen Yeah. <laughs> Kubrick was a pretty hardcore atheist too, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he would have been on Reddit talking about how religious people are stupid, but I think he was like an agnostic or something like that. He definitely believes in the, the supremacy of humanity. And I think that's what this film absolutely explores. And then you see it too in The Shining, right? But The Shining is different because it goes into the psyche, right? Like it's all about the labyrinth and it's going like inside the recesses of the unconscious and the mind. And so he's fascinated with with contemporary findings of science and with the capacity of human investigation, whether it's psychoanalysis. You know, we talked a lot about, like, how he was inspired by sort of uh, Freud and stuff like that when he did um, Eyes Wide Shut. But also um, when we did The Shining, we talked a lot about that labyrinth as being kind of like going into the mind and stuff like that. So he's fascinated with the human and what the human is capable of and what the human is doing. So he's definitely a humanist, I think, for sure. Totally. All right, uh, unless you guys have anything else you want to bring up, we're going to go into the mailbag. I mean, obviously, we, we can't talk about this movie without bringing up how it obviously foreshadowed the moon landing uh, that he filmed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he filmed shit. Yeah. Yeah, so, so then NASA would build him the uh, really special lens that he shot Barry Lyndon on. Exactly. You know, he did it yeah. all for... That was the trade-off. Right. He did it all for art. That's a good right. deal, man. I would do it. Fuck we got it. a lot out yeah. of it. As a culture, Let me ask you I this: think. What's your guys' favorite bit about this film? Bit about this film? Yeah, like either I like love... either a scene, or is it like a theme, or is it like a shot, or like a, a set piece? It's the, it, that song never gets old to me. And any <laughs> any any parody that it's used in anything, I just like get amped listening to it. And it's what a minute and a half long or something. That's my favorite part of the movie. I love the the beginning where we see the spaceship and we're hearing Strauss's the blue Danube. I just love that piece of music. And it's one of those pieces. And it's one of those things that it just works so well. It's so iconic. It just drills into your mind that I can't hear that piece of music without thinking of 2001, a space odyssey Mm. that the movie owns that piece of music. Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But yeah, the whole monkey sequence, I, I could watch multiple times. I think that it's just, I like hanging, I love monkey movies. You know me, Jared. I had a whole monkey birthday you came to. Uh, uh, the Dawn That's of the right. Planet of the Apes, one of my favorite movies. Um, but yeah, the monkey sequence is, is killer in this I movie. agree. Yeah, for me, that's that's my favorite part as well. Yeah. And I like how quiet it is. You're just hanging out with monkeys, watching monkeys do monkey things. That's right. Yeah, those are some good monkeys. It's also amazing to think of like the influence of how many other films have used the exact same stuff, 
that this film did. Like, like what was that movie that recently came out, Passengers or whatever, where it's uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt. Oh yeah, Chris Pratt was in. That's right. Yeah, and they're in like that deep hypersleep or whatever and shit. So it's like everything that has to do with space and interstellar travel and shit like that has some sort of, of callback to this film. It's kind of and amazing. of course Star Wars. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, what was the name of that movie that the guy who was one of the special effects technicians on this movie made his own space movie and it's like very hippie-ish? I think we watched it together a long Zardoz? time ago. No, 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 no. It's a space movie. Uh, anyway. All right, we're going to go into the mailbag. Uh, first, we're going to start with voicemails. You can give us a call. Leave us a voicemail at 213-534-8807. We're going to start out with a call from Anonymous. Hey, guys. This is uh, just somebody from somewhere. This is for Jared. Uh, show me the meaning. I just wanted to say thank you because... Uh, I've I've watched a lot of the I've listened to a lot of the Show Me the Meanings uh, even when I haven't seen the movie and I've still enjoyed all of them keeps me sane at work and on my commute um, but when I heard you on the Old Boy um, podcast saying do not listen to this unless you've seen it I actually stopped and I didn't listen listen to it and uh, I finally got around to seeing Old Boy and uh, honestly can't thank you enough I. I'm so glad that review wasn't spoiled for me, and uh, just wow. I mean, you know, you've seen the movie. Just, just wow. I, I would have hated to not have had that experience because it, it really did for me. Um, but keep up the good work, guys. Uh, everyone, Jared, Ryan, Austin, um, Michael Burns, excellent job, always. Uh, Tommy, uh, I wish you guys would have some more uh, female guests on, I, I love hearing the different perspectives, and sometimes you guys can't necessarily touch on that too much. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, keep up the good work, guys. Hell yeah. Thank you for sen- thank you for ten- uh, taking the time to send that in, Anonymous. Yeah, I appreciate uh, it. And fucking yeah, old boy, one of the few movies that gets better every time I see it, and I've seen it probably at least 20 times. <laughs> uh, Alright, we got... It's amazing. We got no... Another one from Jason. Hey, Wisecrack. This is Jason calling in about the Showgirls Showing Me the Meaning podcast. Uh, first of all, I'm a big fan of the show, and I'm really loving the Verhoeven train, as you guys are calling it. Uh, I'd love for you to do Total Recall next. Uh, I think you guys might have uh, skipped over that one between Robocop and Showgirls. Anyways, um, I hadn't seen Showgirls before, so me and a friend watched it. And we both did find it funny, but also not in the way I'm entirely sure it was intended by Verhoeven. As much as there is over-the-top stuff that's clearly intentional, uh, I also just thought a lot of it was unintentionally bad. Uh, just it, it, It's weird to me how Nomi is kind of portrayed both as very innocent and naive at the start, and slowly gets corrupted, but then is also revealed to already have been kind of a shady character and was corrupt from the beginning. So there's this weird kind of uh, anti-character growth that where the rug gets pulled out from under you. Plus, uh, the end where she beats the crap out of the singer uh, after he rapes her friend, I feel like that's supposed to be a uh, really cathartic moment, but it just feels very dark and uh, disturbing. And I, I'm just not sure how to interpret that. And Paul Verhoeven is usually very good about, like, communicating tone. And this is, you know, there's uh, there's supposed to be a comedy or, you know, subtext or something. And that scene is just one example of where it just feels, like, totally all over the place. Uh, maybe Joe Esterhaus had a very different idea of what Showgirls was going to be, and then Verhoeven came in and tried to do a satire, and it just kind of collided in the middle. Anyways, those are my thoughts. Just wanted to call in and uh, share them. Thank you. Bye. That was Thank a, you, Jason. That was, a great, that was a great voicemail. Yeah. This is going to be one of those debates that goes on to eternity. At what point do we say that it was all intentional? Is Verhoeven some genius who had every single thing planned and he knew what the audience's confusions <laughs> were going to be and how much of it was just poor execution? <laughs> I, I totally agree with him that it, it, it is an ugly movie. You know, like it is – it does not – it is not a feel-good movie and, I, and that was certainly intentional. But I definitely think that 
that the movie in Paul Verhoeven's head, I'm sure, is different than the movie we ended up getting, right? In the, in, the, in the terms of how the tone would come across to people, right? I can see that you set up this movie and you're like, all right, this is going to be kind of a cool uh, satirical take on this underbelly of Las Vegas and the American dream, yada, yada, yada. But then when, it, when you're watching, especially how far he goes with the violence and everything, it comes across as, as, as you definitely feel uncomfortable and, and you – but. You don't know how you're supposed to be feeling, too, like he said in the in the voicemail, and I and I and I and so that means it's not his most successful movie, like kind of how we said on the pod. He does not succeed in what like Starship Troopers to me is does not miss a beat in its tone. It is the perfectly toned movie, and it's also ambiguous and stuff, and people have their own interpretations. But this is too much up in the air. I feel like I agree with him. I would also say that about RoboCop, by the way, that it's perfectly toned. Oh yeah, totally, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, send us uh, voicemails at 213-534-8807. We got a little bit of time left. I want to go into the mailbag. You can hit us up at movies at wisecrack.co. Uh, this one is from Christian. This is a great one. He says, anytime I tell someone to watch a movie that I hear about from y'all's podcast, they tend to say I've ruined the movie by spoiling the plots or themes. I disagree. By going into the movie with an idea of meaning, I feel like I usually enjoy it more. But in your Southland Tales episode, this is my bad, episode, or well, not my bad, but in your Southland Tales episode, you guys shitted on supplemental materials that were supposed to add to the text, referring that the comic book that the director said made it not suck as hard. Which leads me to a few questions. If I enjoy a film based off your discussion, does that take away from the text or enhance it? Is Wisecrack meant to be supplement to the text or a stand on its own piece of media? Is there any way to best to consume your content in regards to pre or post viewing? From Christian. Well, I would say, I mean, the way I always think of it, I kind of think of us like Sports Center, to Sports Center for culture. After, you know, you can watch a football game without any commentary or without any post-game, pre-game stuff and still enjoy it and still understand the game and get whatever you need to take from it. But if you find your mind continuing to linger in the game and you want to hear more perspectives and you want to hear more about it, then, you know, you listen to SportsCenter post-game stuff. I, I Yeah, I, I agree with that. Or I can see that assessment. I've, I've always thought about it since you asked me to be on this podcast many years, many moons ago. It was kind of like we already would hang out and watch movies and talk about them, maybe smoke. I, I don't want to get into that, but uh, uh, <laughs> well, now, well, now you got to finish it because then they're going to think we're doing some. Oh real yeah, weird just shit. The, the, you know, just the legal stuff. <laughs> get high and watch the movies and talk about it. And then it was like, hey, let's let's have a podcast and let's just film it and let's talk about stuff, you know, and uh, uh, and see and film our normal conversations. That's how I've always looked at it. It's just me and Jared and Austin talking about movies like we would, and there just happens to be some people uh, uh, watching too, and we kind of get more into the nitty gritty of it all. What, yeah, how do you literally. Look at this podcast, if, Austin. What's your, what's your interpretation of this podcast? <laughs> if we were at a bar and we were talking, or we were at a barbecue and we were talking about films, I would talk about films in the exact same way that I talk about them on this podcast. That's what this is. This yeah, is three dudes do. sitting around bullshitting, talking about films that either they love or that other people told them that they should love or whatever. And um, I think the thing about you're never gonna not come to a film or anything a sporting event with some sort of like preconception of how to interpret it, right? Like if you love the New England Patriots, you're going to go in with hope that they're going to perform in a particular way, right? Or you're going to have expectations for how this player is going to perform. It's the same thing with a film. You're always going to go in with some set of preconceptions. It's whether you know about the hype from the film or you know about the director or you know about the actors or something, or even just I have language and I understand about science, so I'm going to see 2001 Space Odyssey that's about scientific exploration, and I'm going to think about that Neil deGrasse Tyson lecture that I just listened to a couple of weeks ago or that interview when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast or whatever, right? So we're going to come to stuff with presuppositions. All we do is we just kind of like add to different methodological forms of interpretation because we're just giving you bits of information that you can use to either say, no, those guys are full of shit, or that you can use to be like interesting because that connects with this other idea and that connects with this other idea. So that's how I see it as, is that we're just kind of like providing resources that flow naturally from who we are and then, of course, our relationship with each other that we share with other people. And people can do with them what they will, but use them because they're basically tools. They're technology. We're basically like – we're like Kubrick's bone, you know? We're just tools yeah. for the evolution <laughs> of humanity. So use us to transcend humanity to the star baby, Okay. 
See, I could listen to you talk about movies all day. I cannot listen to me talk about movies all day. See, uh, Austin is the encyclopedic brain of the podcast. I'm the the everyman, just uh, just giving you my opinion. Jared is the uh, social media star, superstar, <laughs> uh, celebrity uh, guest uh, host that we have, uh, uh, and the, you know that's that's our panel we got. It's the perfect cocktail, though, because I'm like – I get abstract and I'll say shit sometimes where it's like, what? And then you guys are like, well, hold on a second. Let's distill that down into human language. And I'm like, okay. I'm I'm the how, like the Frankenstein monster, and <laughs> yeah, then you guys you are, are the human guy. element. So it's <laughs> – <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to close the podcast bay doors now. <laughs> uh, we got a couple other emails from Showgirls, but we're running a little low on time. Um, but – We'll be back in two weeks with something. Join our Patreon and you guys can tell us what to cover. I'd like to reiterate that I love Showgirls, despite what I was saying earlier about it not being as... I still love it. It has a special place in my heart. It's, and you know what? We're going we're gonna to put Ernest Scared Stupid on the next Patreon poll, just to give it another chance. Well, I, thank you. I appreciate that. Maybe Bill and yeah. Ted's too. And, and honestly, we should listen to that guy and, and continue the Verhoeven train and do, at least knock Total Recall out so we can have the trilogy. True. True. Okay. Well, we'll finalize it soon, and we'll let you guys know. Uh, But until then, uh, where can we find you guys on the internet, Ryan? You can find me on Twitter at Ryan's Game Show. Tweet every once in a while, and Ryan Shorts, releasing shorts on the internet, on YouTube, every every week, or actually now it's been like every couple weeks. But anyway, those two places. Thank you for asking. And Austin. Yeah, you can hit me up on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden, uh, Insta, A-U-S underscore H-A-Y. I do a philosophy podcast called Owls at Dawn. I've got a YouTube channel where I make videos sometimes just like talking extemporaneously about topics and shit like that. And then, I don't know, just Google me, I guess. Austin Hayden Smith. There's stuff (laughs) out there. I write. I'm an academic. I got shit. I don't know. I help produce movies sometimes. I, I don't know. I'm a scatterbrain. Cool. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Ryan, take us out. Goodbye from the Stargate. This has been Show Me the Meeting. Peace.